Hello, 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 everybody. Happy Wednesday. My name is Abigail Brazier, and today on Fourth Wall, we are talking to somebody really special to me. I've known her for a really long time. She's a really cool gal, and I'm really excited for you guys to meet her too. Her name is Grace Barber, and she has a hearing impairment. going to hear about it shortly. She'll tell you all about her diagnosis, but she doesn't just have a hearing impairment. That's not her. That's it. It is part of who she is, but it does not completely define her. She is also an actor, a composer, a singer, songwriter, musician. And we're going to talk to her today about what it's like to be a member of a hard of hearing and deaf community and what that means for her art. I'm so excited for you guys to take a listen. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to you know, cuddle up, get a little cozy. So just sit back and relax. We're going to get into it. See you in a second. Bye. Hello, listeners. I'm here today with a very special, magical lady, and her name is Grace Barber. Grace, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. (laughs) (laughs) we're here to talk with grace today about her experience as an actor composer with a hearing impairment what is that like and what what does it mean to have a hearing impairment and be in this community we're gonna find out right now so grace what's your hearing impairment that we are um well hello i'm grace um and my diagnosis is otosclerosis which um to make a long diagnosis short, it's basically I have um, bones in my inner ear, as we all do, um, but mine are fused. So the vibration of sound cannot uh, effectively get from my outer ear to my inner ear, and therefore I cannot hear as well. Whoa. Um, yeah. That must be a little crazy when it comes to working in musical theater. It truly is. <laughs> Speaking of musical theater, how did you get into theater in the first place. Tell the people a little bit about your life, too. I shall. Um, Well, I grew up in a very musical family. Um, My dad is a professional musician, and all of his kids followed suit. Um, In addition to being an actor, I'm a composer and a singer and a songwriter and a big bragger, I guess. Um, (laughs) uh, And we really, um, like, music for us was how we spoke to each other like it's how we bonded so it was actually kind of odd because you know in a family that communicates uh even when I was first growing up to like connect on that basic level because I was just unable to participate in things the way that I wanted to I couldn't hear chords as easily as I wanted to um especially uh uh, you know, I can hear low notes way less than I can hear like high notes. With high notes, I can almost hear things normal. Um, so my dad would be like, you know, that's a four chord. And I'd be like, I am going to take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so how did you find theater after growing up in a household of musicians? Well, uh, I've always been really obnoxious is one thing. <laughs> so I needed an outlet to let that out for yeah. sure. Um, but also... 
I've said this before and I'll say it again, theater people are so loud and so clear that uh, for someone as shy as I was and someone as longing to hear what people were saying, it was just a perfect environment mm. for me. It was the place where I finally felt like I was home. Aww. So cute. Everybody listening just shed a single tear. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of beautiful. So beautiful. I really, uh, frick, I love theater, don't you? I know. Oh, all right. So how does your impairment affect your every day-to-day life for context? Sure. Um, well, I do have two hearing aids. Um, they are just prepare yourself for this price. They are $3,000. Um, so I have to make sure that I don't lose them, which is like a whole part of my day because I'm a very scatterbrained individual. Um, <laughs> and uh, if I'm not wearing them, I can, like, I can still hear things. My hearing impairment is moderate, but I really have mm. to, like, make sure I'm looking at someone uh, and, like, reading their lips or trying to just guess what they're saying. Like, people say the mm. same 10 sentences over and over again, so I can kind of figure it out. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it's just basically that extra step. The extra step of remembering my hearing aid or being extra conscientious or um, being as knowledgeable as I can, trying to give myself a leg up. Yeah, totally. So taking that into consideration, how do you think that um, affects you in the world of theater? Like what's what's a normal day like for Grace Barber in a rehearsal room, for example? Well, I enter the rehearsal room and I look in the mirror and I think, God, I'm so beautiful. Um, and then <laughs> I um, continue about my day. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, a director will call my name and I won't hear them. And they'll think, oh, that person is, you know, a little lackadaisical. Um, and then they'll say it again and I'll hear them that time. Uh, or, you know... I think a good example of something like this actually is I'll be in like, you know, a rehearsal or a studio space um, and I'll be outside waiting for my cue and people will expect me to just be able to come in and uh, hear when I need to enter and just do the scene, but I won't be able to. And I will unfortunately end up Mm. holding up some rehearsals because of like some special accommodations that I need. So it is different. Like 90% of the time I can get by and people don't even know that I'm hearing impaired, but the 10% that it matters, it really can matter. Yeah. That's really, you know, hearing your cues are so important (laughs) and and it's it's smaller things like that, that people don't realize will have a massive impact on somebody who's experiencing that. It's very interesting. It's so true. You said to me once um, that our business really thrives on reputation culture. Mm. And I thought that was so smart. And unfortunately, my reputation is tarnished because people think that I am not paying attention to them when it's really, I'm trying my best, but I just can't hear oh, them. Oh, so you worry that that people will see your, not, your hearing impairment. They won't understand that you're not hearing because you're not paying attention. It's because you actually cannot hear them. Yes. Like people wow. think that I'm really aloof, but I am the opposite of aloof. I am so happy to be in whatever room I'm in and would love to talk to anyone if mm. I can hear them. <laughs> yeah. 
Dang. Okay. So that's how it would affect you as an actor, right? But you're not just an actor, you're a musician and a composer and a singer songwriter. How does it affect that aspect of your work and making music something which you must hear to do? Indeed. Um, I am not like Beethoven. I don't like chew. He used to like chew the piano to hear the vibrations. Um, I am not that intense, (laughs) Um, but I do have to take special precautions to make sure that what I hear um, makes sense to other people. I touched on this earlier, but my low frequencies are really terrible. I can't really hear men speak, thank God. Um, (laughs) So uh, I really, um, like, I have to kind of hear what a good record sounds like and try to recreate it to the best of my ability, knowing that no matter what I do, it's going to sound different to everyone else. Um, oh, wow. It's, it's a, just a different skill set. It's something that I can, it's kind of difficult to even describe. It's like educated guesswork, really. Wow. So what is your process like? Do you think, what are the differences between your process and the process of a normally hearing person? But a normally abled hearing person, someone who is not hearing impaired, would probably be the correct way to say that. Indeed. Um, I think my process, well, first of all, I I would assume that it takes me at least one and a half times the normal amount to mix something. Mm. Um, And that's just because I have to keep double checking my work. And... uh, probably part of that is certainly just because I know that I'm impaired, I naturally am more conscientious, um, which maybe could be a good thing. Who knows? It's good and bad. Um, But I do, I just have to really, really slowly and carefully and patiently, and I'm not a naturally patient person, so that takes a lot of effort, (laughs) um, go through my stuff. It builds character. That's why I'm the fabulous woman you can hear before you listeners. Ah, yes. Um, I have to go line by line, inch by inch, minute by minute, and make sure that I'm actually hearing the right thing so that I don't embarrass myself, really. Oh, I don't think I, I've, I've never felt ever in my life and we can put this in the podcast or not grace, but I have never seen or experienced a moment with you that would cause me to feel that you should be embarrassed or like, Ooh, how embarrassing for her. I've never thought that because you're just so wonderful. You're so right. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) daniel's listening to this like what is going on he's like this girl (laughs) oh all right so where were we before you said you got embarrassed i'm so sorry no don't worry um uh we were talking about the process and about Uh, yes how it takes me more time yes Mm. i just listen minute by minute uh line by line and i make sure that everything is as good as I can make it because even if it's not as good as it could be in some theoretical world where I'm not hearing impaired, Mm -hmm. I can still do good work. Yes. Yes, you can. You, just like you were saying a minute ago, it's just that little bit of extra legwork that is frustrating that sometimes maybe people will not realize that you just have to take the extra step and go that extra mile to get to where everybody else has to be because you have this impairment. Well, well, listeners who are 
have we we have the privilege of listening to this podcast and enjoying this with our ears, you know, at in its full capacity. And and yeah, it's true. that's really interesting. I know it's there is something inherently kind of funny about talking about hearing impairment on a podcast, but that was yeah. why I was so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So what is your favorite part of composing? Like you've chosen this as your life's work and you are currently working on a few different projects from what I understand that the world will hear it eventually. But uh, mm -hmm. talk about what's your favorite part of composing? Well, um, I guess I could speak a little bit about the production company that I'm a part of. Um, yes. It's called 239 Arts. Um, and we're currently uh, doing my original musical now. Um, and my favorite part of it really is just showing my work to my friends and having them be like, oh, I get it. I feel that too. Um, there's something so, um, this is so extra, but it feels like giving birth. When you oh. make a song, it feels so personal. Um, and if, if they don't get it, it feels like they don't get a piece of you. So mm. when you are accepted in that way, and when people are like, oh, that situation, you set it in a way that fits into the structure of the meter and it rhymes, but it's still that emotion that is extremely satisfying. And I feel like a person. That's really cool. And you were talking before about how sometimes you'll make a song and you're not sure if everybody will hear it the same way that you're hearing it. So I'm sure it must feel so, uh, what does it feel like? You say it feels so amazing when somebody hears it and feels it the way that you intended it to feel. That's really cool. Yes, I feel so lucky. I think our generation is so smart and intelligent and frankly sad and ready for art that speaks to them. So yes. even on um, a micro level, it is so exciting to share stuff and to be uh, accepted in return. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. Let's shift gears for a second and talk about uh, your training as an artist. Tell the people Ooh. where do you go to college and how did you like that experience? Well, um, I went to Tis School of the Arts, NYU, um, I graduated a year ago. I am 23. I know I'm ancient. Um, it was really wonderful in some ways and not as wonderful in other ways. Um, some great things they do. NYU is a really well-funded school. It freaking better be because it is expensive. You, I'm not the first to tell you that and I won't be the last. Uh, <laughs> so they have great facilities um they have uh really good disability outreach um and one thing that they didn't do but was a part of their program um was that ali stroker uh went through tish uh a little while before me um ali stroker as uh people will probably remember is from uh oklahoma she was in that deaf west production uh she is completely of spring fabulous. awakening Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, yes. And she was uh, the first person uh, who graduated NYU's uh, drama program in a wheelchair. And yes. she completely uh, basically set the bar for how NYU treats their disabled actors. And she made it possible and far more accessible. So I pretty much thanked her in my head every single day. Mm. Uh, 
but I will say that her work is not quite done. Uh, there are many more steps they could have taken. Uh, I think patience is the real step that NYU needs to implement. Mm -hmm. They, like all schools, they try to talk the talk and walk the walk, and they only get so far. Okay, what resources did the school provide that showed you that you were valued and included? They did a lot of things. One was uh, they gave me access to basically teachers had a tiny lapel mic, and then I would be able to put a speaker on the edge of my desk. Oh. Uh, and then they would be able to speak directly to me, which... In the times where I had lost my hearing aid, and yes, I have lost my hearing aid many times, uh, that would be extremely helpful because otherwise I just have no chance of hearing anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, they had, um, both for me and also for visually impaired people, they had people who would volunteer to take notes um, and they could get paid for it actually. And then uh, you would be able to receive those notes and it would be extremely helpful like for things that you missed um, and stuff like that. Other than that, there wasn't a ton. And I will be honest, it was difficult to access these things because you have to go out of your way to access mm -hmm. them. And I am not the kind of person who advocates for myself very fiercely. And perhaps I should be. Perhaps we all should be. But Perhaps we all should be. Mm-hmm. But I will say... It's frustrating that disabled people constantly have to be advocates for themselves. Mm. It gets a little tiring to always say, just so you know, I'm hearing impaired, so blah, 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 blah. You might need to make some accommodations. Mm. It would be nice if there was some kind of system that let people know what they need to do beforehand so that I only had to say it once rather than keep saying it in front of every single class and keep yeah. resetting the bar for myself. Mm, yeah. Do you feel that your resources that you received in college are similar, less than, greater than your experience post-grad and in the real world as you're working now? I will say that my experience in NYU was much better in the real world because we yeah. are all in the real world. We know that it is just pure chaos, lovely <laughs> chaos, but chaos. Um, the resources in the real world, I mean, there are none except for, for theater specifically, they obviously have audio assistive devices, uh, which are extremely helpful, but the audio quality is so bad. Like it's unthinkably terrible and it squeaks and it isn't, um, it doesn't work in conjunction with your hearing aids which um, some theaters in London have things that can work with your hearing aids, and that's extremely helpful. Uh, and again, it's the kind of thing where you need to advocate for yourself. You need to go up to the desk and give them your license uh, and remember to give it back. I have taken it <laughs> home before. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is... I'm grateful for the resources that I have been provided but I, I do feel a little disgruntled 
about the fact that I constantly have to ask for them and feel guilty mm. that I'm asking for them. Yeah. Which leads to why, why do we think there may be a lack of resources and perhaps underrepresentation of hearing impaired, hard of hearing and deaf people in our community and our industry? Yes. Do, do you know anybody else in your circles and in the community with uh, hearing disabilities? Absolutely no one, unfortunately. Mm. Um, uh. I do have people that I look up to. I mean, Alex Lacamoire, obviously. I mean, Beethoven, he's dead, but he counts. Um, <laughs> don't, don't you guys have the same hearing impairment? Yes. Um, wow. Well, the jury's a little bit out on him because, as I discussed, he is dead. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Um, but he, they think that he had otosclerosis, or it may have been scarlet fever, but they're pretty sure it's otosclerosis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're talking about what what resources and accessibility that you have benefited from, what perhaps you would enjoy more of, what what do you think works and what doesn't out there in the real world for the audience and for actors and creatives? Um, what a good question. Uh, I will say subtitles, subtitles, subtitles. Oh my God, subtitles. If I sat here for the rest of our conversation and just said the word subtitles, it still wouldn't be enough. I would really love subtitles both in theater and at the movies. Um, now the only thing you can do at the movies is there's like a huge box that you can get that you attach to your armrest, but it's extremely mm. intrusive to everyone around you. It makes you a nuisance to everyone. And frankly, I never use them and I suffer for it. Would love to just have subtitles be standard. Mm. Um, just there's a whole section of the population that can't go see live theater because they can't hear it. And I think yeah. that's, kind of cruel because we're locking a whole group of people out who yeah have trouble communicating for themselves it's unfair mm. how do you feel about uh performances example deaf west's production of spring awakening they do a lot of asl infused productions how do you feel about that and also writing for the hearing impaired experience um well first of all let me just be very clear um, I don't speak ASL, not because I shouldn't, but because I am putting it off. Um, <laughs> well, it's okay. That is a-okay. Not yes. every hearing impaired person speaks or understands ASL. That's true. I think that's actually an important uh, stereotype to speak about. Um, yeah. Because almost everyone asks me if I do speak it and I don't. Um, wow, expand your mind. Wow. Um, uh, I am extremely in support of those shows. I think they're fabulous. I think they are barrier breaking and so well thought out. And those people are so just unbelievably talented and awesome. I mean, obviously I'm a, a fangirl of them, but I really, <laughs> in addition well, to I'm a just, fangirl of you. Well, I'm a fangirl of you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, but they really... There's something really fabulous about, um, I think the reason musicals are so attractive to me is because of the fact that my body is inherently built to not be in them. 
is a challenge for me. Mm. I'm like, oh, you don't want me? Well, let me um, not listen. And yes. I think that's exactly what they're doing with these productions. They are bringing not hearing to a musical. And I think that's just fabulous. Uh, and I would love to do more of that in my work. I have um, so many thoughts. I mean, I, I won't go into it for very long, but I would love to make a musical about Beethoven. Mm. Um, I would love, frankly, to make a musical about my own life as a hearing impaired composer. I think there's something inherently interesting about that. It's like a dancer with a broken foot. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Encourage, <laughs> encourage hard of hearing and deaf playwrights and composers yes. and creators, period. And I think it's an experience that we don't see super well represented in the entertainment industry and beyond. And that in itself becomes a barrier. If we aren't exposed to and see this perspective that so many people experience every single day, then becomes we do not understand and then it turns into ignorance. And I think that it is so it's so cool to hear about what your experience is like writing and just living your life in general. I had another I had a I had a specific question. What were we talking about a second ago? I don't ooh, wait. Oh, I forgot. Um, something that you said on a previous oh, yes. podcast. Um, I forget the exact phrasing, but it it was essentially that representation allows us to see people from other yes. groups as human, like it allows yeah. us to empathize with them. And I mean, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but in the stream of these podcasts, we have heard from so many different groups of people and it's the same with this. And especially uh, with a disability where communication is such mm. a barrier, we really rely on representation to make us seem like people because prejudice makes people yeah. inhuman. And there's something inherently uh, scary about the fact that we aren't shown and we therefore aren't seen and then we therefore aren't listened to. Or understood. You know, I was exactly. watching I was watching the Netflix show The Society with my sister recently and there is a deaf actor who signs on that show. His character is also deaf signing. He is a deaf actor. Yes. I forget his mm -hmm. name, but he plays Sam. He's so wonderful. And we were watching it. And my sister, who was not hard of hearing or deaf, but is fluent in sign language, said to me, it was so interesting because he, it was a close up on him, but it was only of his torso. And he was signing, but you couldn't see his hands. And my sister says, well, what's the point of having him sign if you can't see his hands on the screen? What? And I, that it, is so and that silly. really was a moment for you. I was like, you know what? you're right. And in that moment, I realized there should be subtitles on everything. Yes, it really, thank you, because it's so true. And that also really speaks to the fact that there should be deaf or hearing impaired people in the writer's room, yes. in the editing, on the editing floor. Like any hearing impaired person would have caught that and been like, what's the deal here? Mm. Why, why are we showing this? Why should we show representation cheaply we should be empathetic and accurate in our storytelling yes agree 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 oh wow this has been so great so great and speaking of representation 
do you have anything that you would like to say, say there's somebody listening to this podcast or, you know, reading about this topic in theater, what would you like to say to somebody who is out there who's hearing impaired, hard of hearing, deaf, who would love to be in theater and involved in this industry, but doesn't know where to start or doesn't feel that they're represented or that there is space for them to be represented accurately? Hello, baby cakes. I don't know why I called you baby cakes, but I'm imagining that you're a sweet baby. Listen up. It is absolutely a challenge to be hearing impaired in the theater community. I'm not going to lie to you. But that being said, the rewards that you can reap are so much sweeter when you have fought harder to get there. And I think that I hope that the world is waiting for the voices of hearing impaired people and the hands of deaf people, because frankly, these perspectives are so rich and so interesting and so fundamentally important to the human condition. So if you think that you have a story to tell, you owe it to the world to tell it. And frankly, you would make my life easier. You would make the lives of people like us easier to do it. So please, follow your dreams. Oh, I just got chills. That was so beautiful. Follow your dreams. (laughs) Follow your dreams, everybody. It's true. There's space for you. We're making space. We are carving this space together. Bit by bit, we're picking away at this at this wall and it's going to we're going to get there and it's going to be so sweet and delicious. And I'm so glad that you talked to to me today about this and sat on our show, Grace. Tell the, tell the people where they can find you online and what upcoming projects you have and all of that exciting goodness. Oh, yes. Um, well, I have a website, gracebarber.com. Very easy. It's my name. Um, I have a production company 239arts.com and we have a writers group that is actually open to the public so if you're interested we meet every Friday Um, yes there's information about that on our website it is awesome it's for anyone who is an up and coming writer and I bring my musical to it at all interested in that it's very exciting heck yeah go brainstorm with grace barber talk about art and music i this has been so so wonderful grace thank you so much any last words for the listeners um (laughs) um stay sexy i support you um I am very beautiful, and so are you. (laughs) Yes, we are all beautiful. You're beyond the fourth wall. Thank you, listeners. We love you, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Thank you so much for tuning in today at Fourth Wall, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at thisisfourthwall, and you can send any questions, reflections, feedback, concerns, thoughts on your own experiences, and submissions for our anonymous advice column to hello at fourthwallpod.com. Fourth Wall, the podcast, is created and hosted by Abigail Brazier and Elena Newell, produced by Tyler McKenzie Creative Studio, with original music by Ben Bailey, and help from production consultants Nick Buckholtz and Sarah Flato. We'll see you next time!